This, this psalm may be titled, The King in the Wilderness. He's talking about David, of course. Psalm 63. We have prepared the next two or three psalms. We'll see how far we get along in them. We just take it chapter by chapter and verse by verse. Try to expound each verse as we go along and give you what uh, we find there. So in this first verse, uh, David says, O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. So the first thing that David uh, speaks of is that God is his God. Thou art my God. Remember he said in Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd. Whether he's anyone else's shepherd or not, he was David's shepherd. And whether uh, God is anyone else's God, let's be able to say like David, O God, thou art my God. And he's everyone who will look to him in faith. He's the God of all who seek him. And he says, Early will I seek thee. God was put first as far as David was concerned. Early may mean a lot of things. Early will I seek thee. Maybe first. The Bible says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So we seek God first. He takes first place. In Ecclesiastes 12, verse 1, the Bible says, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth. So uh, childhood and youth, young people are to seek after God and to, and to realize that they need to seek him early in life. Early will I seek thee. Early. Early in the morning is a good time. But early in life is a good time. We talk about uh, early as far as uh, boys and girls in Sunday school. And when you remember that uh, Paul said to Timothy, and that from a child, and he, when he said child, he meant from infancy, that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. Sometimes we think that little boys and girls cannot understand the Scriptures. Sometimes they get more out of it than the grown-ups. They listen. They know what's going on. And uh, when they learn to read and write and they learn to understand as you speak to them and talk to them, they're able to learn the Word of God. And we think that they have to have a lot of other things. Well, they can learn the Word of God if, they, if we'll teach them. And we should have an all-Bible Sunday school and teach them the Bible from the very beginning of their teaching. So early, God was put first. Let me read a verse for you in Psalm, and not Psalm, but Isaiah 26 and verse 9. It says this, With my soul have I desired thee in the night. Yea, with my spirit uh, within me will I seek thee early. He says, With my spirit within me will I seek thee early. We desire God in the night, and with my spirit within me will I seek thee early. He's talking about early or as soon as possible or early in the morning. And our spirit's desire to, should be uh, to seek after God. The Bible says, As a heart panteth after the water brook, so my soul panteth after thee, O God. And if you notice the second part, it's right in line with what we've been saying. He says, My soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee, in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. He thirsted more for God than he did for water. In a dry and thirsty land, in the wilderness of... of uh, and desert of uh, drought and away from any source of water as far as spiritual things, he thirsted for God. The Bible tells us, Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. You and I need to hunger and to, we need to thirst for God. The song that the, the trio sang, God, fill our cup with 
until we're full, till we are satisfied, and the bread from heaven, until our soul is satisfied. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. And he says we're sustained by that bread too. We're not only, we not only eat of that bread and, and have salvation, but we're sustained day by day. We're sustained by feasting upon Christ in a spiritual way. He says that my blood is flesh, my uh, body is bread indeed, and my blood is, my blood is uh, satisfactory too. And we need to be satisfied with his flesh and his blood. And whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood... As the Father has given me life and sustained me, so everyone that eateth me shall live by me. You read in John chapter 6, and there's a whole section that shows us how we're sustained day by day. Isaiah 55 verse 1 says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth. Let me read it for you. Isaiah 55 and verse 1. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. So everyone that's thirsty needs to come and come to God for to be satisfied of that spiritual thirst that's within. And then the third thing we find is in verse 2. To see thy power and thy glory so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. He desired to see God and to see God's power and to see God's glory as it was manifested in the wilderness and as he observed it in the sanctuary. Until he went into the sanctuary, he did not understand too much of God's presence. Remember, we quoted Psalm 73, where David was envious at the foolish, and he saw the prosperity of the wicked, and he was just dumbfounded, and he said his feet were on slippery ground. And right down in the middle of it, I believe it's about verse 17, he says, Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I therein. But when we get into God's presence, we understand more spiritual things, and we begin to be enlightened. And then we begin to understand what happens to the wicked and what God's blessings are for the, for the righteous. God gives His blessings in the house of God. If we can't go to church, God will bring the church to us sometimes. If we're out in the wilderness and someplace where we cannot be present, but it's good for us to assemble together. He says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. But he said here in verse 2, To see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. In verse 3, because thy loving kindness is better than life. It's better than life itself. My lips shall praise thee. God's loving kindness is better than life itself. Jeremiah, let me read Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the, let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exerciseth loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. That God delights in exercising loving kindness and judgment and righteousness in the earth. Sometimes we feel like, you ever felt like that the devil is running this world? And and that the Lord is just silent about it? No, He's not. If it were not for God's loving kindness and righteousness and judgment in the earth, you talk about tribulation in the seven years, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have to wait till the seven-year tribulation. We'd have it already, wouldn't we? But God is loving kindness and righteousness and judgment in the earth. And it's better than all. Uh, 
better than all of life itself. In fact, life itself would be miserable without it. It says in verse 3, Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Do we ever praise God for His loving kindness, for uh, healing our diseases? Listen, for helping us, for giving our iniquities. Psalm 103, let me give it to you. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Listen, who forgiveth all thine iniquity, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. There you have it again. And it says, Who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. And you find he made known his ways unto Moses and his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. That would be a terrible thing to have to be uh, meet all of our sins and iniquities on, a, on the basis of God judging us for them. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. When you think of the east from the west, he doesn't say as far as the north is from the south, but as far as the, the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions. We can go around the globe for eternity, east or west. You go north, north, you hit the North Pole. You go south, you hit the South Pole. And there's a place of a destination, polar, uh, fixed place. But you go east and west, and where are you going to say it stops? You're just going to keep going, aren't you? We say the Western nation, the Eastern nations. But that's only using it in the sense of, of uh, a term of the time element as far as the sunrise and the sunset is concerned. But we, we know that God has taken our sins as far as the east is from the west. He says, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. And you go on and on. Verse 17, The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto children's children. You could read all that 103rd Psalm and just apply it to this very verse of Scripture. In verse uh, 4, back in our Psalm, 63 verse 4, Thus will I bless thee while I live. We won't bless him after we die. He says, I will lift up my hands in thy name, in prayer, emblematic, acknowledging God's power and imploring His assistance in worship. Psalm 119, listen to this one. Psalm 119 and verse 48 says this, My hands also will I lift up unto thy commandments which I have loved. So it shows that we trust in God's law, in God's word, in His commandments. And then when we lift our hands up in prayer, it, it says, I will lift my hands in thy name. And I'm afraid that a lot of people have misunderstood this. This is not going around like some of the charismatic groups with every hand sticking up in there the whole service long, waving around. It's lifting up your hands. And, and I'm, that's, if that's the way they want to do it, that's fine. If that's the kind of church you like, go to that kind of church. Had a fellow talk to me this last week, and he was telling me that that's the kind of church he wanted. I said, okay, that's the kind of church you go to. 
There's nothing wrong if a person wants to lift up their hands to God in prayer. But if you just want to uh, try to do it for a show and try to put it on the whole time the service is going on, you know, I'm not so much in favor of that. I don't think it makes you that much more holy or godly. And if you do it on an occasion, it's not like, you know, it becomes a... It becomes old and, and so formal then. But uh, you do what God wants you to do. But we, it says in that Psalm 119, let me read it again for you. It says, I will lift up my hands uh, toward thy commandments. Unto thy commandments. Well, what about that? Where's his commandments? Are his commandments out there over here? If you lift up your hands to his commandments, what it does it mean? It means you recognize the Word of God as his Word. And you're showing, you're drawing upon the strength of that word. You're believing that that's what you need. And so there's a lot of things to be said about it. Now look in verse 5. It says, My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. The satisfaction. Soul satisfaction comes from the Lord. Remember, Jesus said, Labor not for that meat which perisheth, but for that which endureth unto everlasting life. That's John chapter 6. You read verse 26 and 27. Isaiah 55, verse 2 says, uh, Labor for that which satisfies not. That that's what Israel did. They labored for that which satisfied not. Sometimes we spend our labor on that which is not satisfying either. We just fuss and fume and fret about everything and think we'll get this and we'll be satisfied. We'll get something else, we'll be satisfied. Lo and behold, you get it and there's something wrong with it. It wasn't as good as you thought it was. You know, you buy something brand new and say, Boy, that's exactly what I want. You get it home and say, you know, I didn't know it had this wrong with it. I didn't know that it was going to be this way. You know, I'd have loved it better if it had so-and-so certain qualities that you, that you think it should have had. Or if you could combine two of the things that you bought. Say, well, that one was good and this one was good. I wish that one had this and this one had that. And they had both the same thing. You know, had them joined together so that you would have exactly what you want. You know, this world doesn't offer full satisfaction. You heard me tell the story one time of an evangelist over, Dr. Connolly used to tell about evangelist over in uh, Scotland. They, he was preaching and this fellow, in the audience, he had this big church and a lot of people came and he advertised that uh, he'd give a thousand pound note for anyone, this was the way he got them out to the meeting, thousand pound note to anyone that could come in uh, to that church and prove to him beyond a shadow of a doubt that they were satisfied without uh, the Lord. That they had what they wanted in this life to full satisfaction. And boy, they came in there and there's one old fellow in the back. And, and of course, he wanted to claim that uh, promise. He says, Preacher, he says, I've got this, I've got lands, and I've got silver, and I've got gold, and I've got banknotes, and so on. And he started down the aisle and he says, Give me that thousand pound note. The preacher says, No, you can't have it. He says, You know why? He says, If you were satisfied, you wouldn't want it. Isn't that right? Come down, give me that. You need just one more money. It was a real proof that he was not satisfied. And you know, the more we get, we say, oh, if I just had this much, I'd be satisfied. And you get that much, you say, no, if I had that much more, I'd really be satisfied. But real satisfaction is from the Lord. The Bible says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. This should be a lesson to us, shouldn't it? What we've been saying should be a lesson to us. And if it isn't, well, just let the Holy Spirit apply that to our lives. God has given us many good things, but soul satisfaction comes from God. Night meditation, look at verse 6. When I remember thee upon my bed, and meditate on thee in the night watches. 
Do you remember God? You know, sometimes in the daytime we're so busy. And other things, we remember what we're doing or we try to remember or what we're supposed to be doing or we try to remember our responsibilities and duties for uh, domestic duties or financial or material or physical things. But then when we come tonight and we lie down upon the bed, he says, when I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches, when things are silent and quiet and dark and when we begin to think upon God, we should remember. Remember Psalm 1 says, In thy law will he meditate day and night, the blessed man. In his law will he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water, which bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. He says the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. So look at this again. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. I want you to look at verse uh, 7 now. It says, Because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. Past manifestations of God's help should bring joy to our heart. Sometimes we have a tendency to forget what God has done. Israel forget God. In Psalm 106, verse 13, they soon forget His works. They wait, uh, waited not for His counsel. You and I are like the children of Israel. We soon forget His works. That's why Peter says, uh, Brethren, as long as I'm in this tabernacle, I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. I want you to remember these things of the Lord, he said. You read Peter's epistles. And he says, by way of remembrance, he says, not that you do not know these things, but I want to remind you again of them. You see, the preaching of God's Word is a constant remembrance of the things that, not especially you've never heard, but of things you've already heard. And it's just a rehearsing of those things over again so that you will not forget. When we take the Lord's Supper, Jesus said, this do in what? Remembrance of me. Sometimes we forget that Jesus died and shed His blood on the cross. And gave his life for us. And when you take the elements of the Lord's Supper, you're reminded that this is his flesh and his blood. And that he died for our sins. That he paid the supreme sacrifice. That he was crucified on the cross of Calvary. And that he shed his blood to redeem us. The Bible says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. For as much as you know, you were not redeemed with silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. We're forgetful that it took God, His only begotten Son, and it took Christ uh, on the cross to shed His blood in order to redeem us. So, it says here, When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. God wants us to remember. Israel forgot God. And I already, I've already given you Psalm 106, verse 13, and I'll quote it again. They soon forget His works. They waited not for His counsel. Look at verse 7. Because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings uh, will I rejoice. In the shadow of God's wings. Safety is found in falling close to the Lord. In verse uh, 8, My soul falleth hard after thee. Thy right hand upholdeth me. So falling close to the Lord. Too many of us follow far off, and we're not as close as we need. Too many like Peter, you remember. It says Peter followed afar off. Peter promised he would never forsake the Lord. 
He says, though all men would deny thee, yet will not I. The first thing you find that happened to him, he began to, to be asleep when Jesus was praying. A lack of prayer. And the next thing he followed afar off. The next thing he got with the wrong crowd. He sat down among them. The next thing he warmed himself by their fire. The next thing he denied the Lord. Then he remembered the word of the Lord when Jesus came out of the judgment hall and turned and looked upon Peter. And that look was a look of not just I told you so. It was a look of compassion. But it was a look of the fact that uh, he, uh, Peter could recognize that Jesus knew what he was talking about. And so Peter remembered the word of the Lord and went out and wept bitterly. And sometimes when we recognize the Lord knows what he's talking about, we'll give more respect to his word. A lot of people count the Word of God as if, well, maybe that's so, maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. If God promises it, it's going to happen. It says, whatever He promises, He's able to bring to pass. Safety is found in falling close. Look at verse 9 and 10. But those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for foxes. David predicts the doom of his enemies. And we can rest assured that God will, uh, that sinners and rejectors of Christ will reap their evil way. The Bible says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So, every one of us are going to reap what we sow. We reap what we sow in this life. Even as Christians. Remember there's a scripture that tells in the book of Judges where this certain king, they caught him and they cut off his thumbs and his great toes. And it says, Adana Bezek, I believe is his name. And it says that he remembered that there were certain number of kings that he had done the same thing to. And it happened to him. So remember, when you're doing some way or some evil or some wrong to someone else, remember that it may come back to you. But also remember that if you try to do good to someone else, it's going to return to you. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall it all, that shall he also reap. It says, blessed are the, Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall what? Obtain mercy. You see, even that comes back, doesn't it? So when you treat people unmerciful, someone's going to treat you unmerciful. But if you treat them with mercy, then there's going to be a time that others will treat you with mercy. See, the law of harvest is pretty true. It just works that way. You know, you go out here and sow wheat in the field. You don't go out there and reap barley or, or rice or some other grain, bonita or high gear or something like that. You don't reap something else, do you? And if you go out there and sow just a little bit of wheat, say, well, instead of sowing third or half bushel to acre or what, however much you're supposed to sow, well, I'm just going to sow, I'm going to cut it down and sow about an eighth of bushel. You're not going to get a very big crop. you got to sow enough seed, too. The amount has something to do with it. And the kind has something to do with it. And all the other aspects of sowing and reaping fall into the picture. And you and I, we reap as we sow. Uh, let's look at this uh, 11th verse. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone that sweareth by him shall glory. And he's talking about the king of Israel. David himself would rejoice in God. Everyone that sweareth by him shall glory. But the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. So the king and his true associates shall rejoice together. And our hope is with our king, isn't it? The Bible tells us we shall reign as, uh, with, as kings. If you look in Psalm 64, we find the king's enemies... It says, Hear my voice, O God, in my prayer. Sometimes our voice is in our prayer, and sometimes our prayer has no voice. Did you know that some pray without voice? 
You don't have to pray aloud for God to hear you. But he says, hear my voice, O God, in my prayer. Sometimes we pray out loud and we pray where it can be heard. But sometimes people pray in their heart and God hears. You see, God knows our thoughts and our hearts. Remember when Hannah was praying for a son, for Samuel? It says only her lips moved. Well, she didn't even have to do that. God heard her prayer. She said she was in bitterness of soul. Eli accused her of being drunk. And she says, not so. She said, but I'm in bitterness of soul. I poured out my soul to God. And God heard her prayer. But he says, hear my voice, O God, in my prayer. Preserve my life from, the, uh, from fear of the enemy. David prayed to be preserved or to be kept. Paul says, and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom. Preserve or take care of you, to guard around you, to watch over you. We're kept by the power of God. We're preserved until the day of redemption. And so God's power is taking care of us and preserving us, keeping us. Verse 2 says, Hide me from the secret counsel of the wicked. David prayed to be hid. Moses was hidden in the cleft of the rock from God's glory and presence. Someone might say, well, why would someone need to be hidden from the presence of God? Because no man shall see God and live in the, as far as in the flesh is concerned. And God said to Moses, Moses wanted to see God's glory. And God says, okay. He says, you cannot see my face and live. But he says, when my glory passes by, he says, there's a place by me. That's the mediator. The nearest place to the heart of God is through Christ. And we're hidden in Christ. And so he says, there's a place by me, and thou shalt uh, uh, hide thyself in the cleft of the rock. And when my glory passes by, and you'll see my hinder parts, but you cannot see my face and live. So God hid him in the cleft of the rock. And that cleft of the rock speaks of Christ. We're hidden in Christ. And this is the closest we can get to God while we're here upon this earth. The mediator, the go-between, the intercessor. And one of these days, out of this flesh, we'll be able to see God face to face. But not while we're in this flesh. And so, uh, David says, hide me from the secret counsel of the wicked. Well, he wanted to be hidden from the wicked. And the Bible says, your life is hid with Christ in God. You read Colossians chapter 3, and you'll find Colossians chapter 3. Let me read it for you. In verse 1, and on down to verse 3, it says, If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Now here you have it in verse 3. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. You know, people look at that and they say, well, you know, that's a contradiction. You're dead and you're alive. You're dead and your life... You're dead as far as the sins are concerned. You're dead as far as uh, this world is concerned. But you have a spiritual life. Your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. I like that. Look at that verse. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. You know you can't hardly read the Bible without reading security. It doesn't say then you might be able to appear with Him in glory. It says, when, when Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. You try to read that any other way. 
And now we get back to Psalm 64. It says, Hide me, verse 2, from the secret counsel of the wicked, from the insurrection of the workers of iniquity. He wanted to be hidden from the, the workers of iniquity, who whet their tongue like a sword. The tactics of David's enemies are described in verses 3 through 6. Here's what they do. They whet their tongue like a sword. And they bend their bows to shoot their arrows. And they, look, even bitter words. Their arrows arrows are bitter words. That they may shoot in secret at the perfect. Suddenly do they shoot at him and fear not. They take great courage in trying to destroy God's people. They encourage themselves in an evil matter. Look at that. In an evil matter. In Psalm 10, verse 6, the wicked have said, Listen, he has said in his heart, I shall not be moved, for I shall never be in adversity. The wicked say in their heart, they encourage themselves in an evil matter. They commune of laying snares privily. In Psalm 10, verse 8, he that... He sitteth in lurking places of the villages, in the secret places doth he murder the innocent. His eyes are privily set against the poor. He lieth in wait secretly as a secretly as a lion in his den. He lieth in wait to catch the poor. He doth catch the poor when he draweth him into his net. He croucheth and humbleth himself that the poor may fall in by his strong ones. He has said in his heart, God hath forgotten. He hideth his face, he will never see it. They to believe that God never sees it. As we read in our Psalm 64, look. They encourage themselves, verse 5, in an evil matter. They commune of laying snares privily. They say, who shall see it? They don't believe God sees it. They don't even believe anyone sees it. But God sees everything. The Bible says, there is no darkness nor shadow of death where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. The Bible says, the eyes of the Lord are upon the ways of man. He seeth his, all his goings. The Bible says, that the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. And he beholds man in all of his actions, all of his doings. And God even sees on the inside of us. Man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. Remember that's what was said uh, when they were choosing, when Samuel was choosing David a king. They had these great, tall, heavy, muscular brothers of David that were men of war. And all the sons of Jesse passed before Samuel. And he says, do you have any more sons? God says, no, it's not this one, not this one. This one's rejected. He says, I've got one. He's a little shepherd boy. He's a lad. He's uh, keeping the flock. And he said, go and fetch him. Bring him here. And he told Samuel, God told Samuel, rise and anoint him king over Israel. And remember, little old David, this lad, this young man, went out and he took his power with the, with God and he slew the bear and the lion when they would try to attack the flock and he did everything he could to protect then he took his sling with five smooth stones and went up against Goliath and all the rest of Israel and the valiant men were all scared to death David said I come to you in the name of the Lord God of Israel the Lord of hosts and he took his sling and turned that sling around and hit a stone and it sunk in his head the Bible says sunk the word sunk there means like a stone would sink in the water. And down he went. And God gave David the victory. We read this. They said, Who shall see them? Look in verse 6. They search out iniquities. They accomplish a diligent search. Both the inward thought of every one of them and heart is deep. But God shall shoot at them. 
God is a man of war and never misses. In Exodus 15, verse 3, it says, The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Jehovah is a man of war. Jehovah is his name. But the Bible says that God is angry with the wicked every day. Wouldn't it be awful to have God angry at you every day? I don't want him angry at me one day. But John 3, verse 36 says this. Listen. He that hath the Son of God hath everlasting life. He that hath the Son of God hath everlasting life. And it says, But he that hath not the Son of God shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. And we wonder why people out in the world never accept Christ and refuse the Word of God, go around and they they uh, accuse God and, and uh, all kinds of evil things and bad things are happening, and they don't realize that God's wrath God is judging, God is punishing to try to get them to wake up. The wrath of God abideth on him. He that believeth on him, John 3.18, is not condemned, but he that believeth not is what? Condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Someone says, well, why would God condemn me? God hasn't condemned you. You have condemned yourself by not believing. There's a condemnation upon unbelief. He that believeth not is condemned already. He doesn't have to do anything. And we're in a state of unbelief by nature. And we have to be converted from that. That's what conversion is. That's what repentance and faith is. It's a change of heart and attitude and direction to God. Men need to be turned to God from their idols to serve the living and true God. God is a man of war. And He will never miss His aim. God often uses... The weapons of the enemy as David used Goliath's own sword. Look at verse 7. God shall shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly shall they be wounded. So they shall make their own tongue to fall upon themselves. Their own tongue. Whatever you say, whatever they say is going to fall back on them. All the curses and all the things that they've thought of evil against others and said against others are going to come back upon themselves. Remember that your words return. They make their rounds. They come back. One time, I, uh, well, several times I've uh, spoken to you and said, be careful of the words you say. Keep them soft and sweet. You never know from day to day which ones you'll have to eat. And so we better keep our words right. The uh, tongue is a hard member to control. And when we say bad about others, and so they shall make their own tongue to fall upon themselves. All that see them shall flee away, and all the men shall fear and shall declare the work of God, for they shall wisely consider his doing. God can get glory out of his enemies. The righteous shall be glad in the Lord and shall trust in him. The righteous will rejoice when all the wickedness is brought to naught. And all the upright in heart shall glory. I want to read one verse in closing. Revelation 19. Listen. The righteous do rejoice when wickedness is brought to naught and when judgment is meted out. It says in Revelation 19, After these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are His judgments, for He hath judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication. This is that harlot Babylon the great, there was the political and the commercial and the religious that will be destroyed at the end of the tribulation period. 
political Babylon, that Babylon, that evil that tries to rule the whole world in power, and then that commercial Babylon, which tries to, to keep all of its commerce away from those that need it and have the money-making schemes that they have and all the delicacies and all the, the things of uh, high cost for themselves and the poor suffer. And then that religious Babylon too, that false prophet, that antichrist, and all will be destroyed. And when they're destroyed, it says, For true and righteous are his judgments, for he judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and have avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Hallelujah! And her smoke rose up forever and ever. And so God's people are made to rejoice. You go on down and you read it again and again. It says in verse 5, And the voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God. All ye his servants, and them that fear his names, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and the voice of many waters, multitudes, the voice of many waters, and the voice of mighty thunderings, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. He goes on and on in the glory and rejoicing. So we find that when God destroys uh, the devil and all of his demons, that God's people are going to rejoice. But we find that God has all power and He can bless His people. He can give us victory. We have nothing to fear. And also, that we should not feel bad when God brings His righteous judgments upon the wicked and sinful world at the end of time. When Jesus comes again, do you think you and I are going to feel real bad when Jesus comes from heaven as King of kings and Lord of lords and all the armies of heaven follow Him upon white horses? And he wages war against all the wicked kings and wicked people upon this earth? No. We're going to feel the same victory that he will win by himself. We're just going to be with him. We won't even have to do the fighting. He's going to do the fighting. All we'll be there is to, to enjoy and rejoice in the victory. And the Bible tells in Revelation 19 that he's going to destroy those wicked that are upon the earth at that time.